Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Coogee Voice. September is Gynecological Cancer Awareness Month, and it's used as an opportunity to encourage women to become more aware about cancers of the cervix, vagina, vulva, ovaries, and uterus, including early detection and prevention. As such, we have a special guest this week, Dr. Rhonda Farrell, Deputy Director of Gynecological Oncology at the Chris O'Brien Lifehouse, to shine some light on gynecological cancers. Rhonda is a certified gynecological oncologist with over 10 years experience as a senior staff specialist caring for women with gynecological cancers, and most importantly, a Coogee local. Men, be not afraid, this episode is also for you. There's three groups that are probably the most important. The most common is cancer of the womb. The second type of cancers are cancers of the ovary and the fallopian tubes. They're very similar cancer. And then the third type of cancers which have changed over the last 10 years, the, the last decade, are the cancers that are associated with HPV, the human papillomavirus infection, which we now have a vaccination for. Dr. Runda Farrell, welcome to Coogee Voice. How are you going today? Hi Marjorie, I'm very well and thank you for inviting me, particularly as this month, September, is Gynecological Cancer Awareness Month. Um, I really appreciate you having me on the podcast today. It is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and as you have said, it is Gynecological uh, Cancer Awareness Month. But before we get into that, you are an eastern suburbs Coogee local. How long have you lived around the eastern suburbs? Oh, Marjorie, I've been here for um, too long to, to mention, but about 30 years. I actually was born and grew up in the Shire and most, as you know, most Shire people never leave the Shire, but I was different. And when I was about 20, I met a man from the eastern suburbs. And of course, it's harder to get a man out of the eastern suburbs than it is to get a woman out of the Shire. So this is where I moved and I've lived in Coogee for around 30 years. That's wonderful. But just to let you know, my father was forced to migrate to the eastern suburbs from my mother in 1977. So sometimes it does work the reverse way. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we get into this, Rhonda, should our male listeners tune out for this episode or is this an episode that they should absolutely listen to? I think the latter. They should absolutely listen to this for many reasons. First of all, they'll be a great support to their partners who might have a problem in the gynaecological area and be understanding. And sometimes women with gynaecological cancer have to go through a journey and there's, there's no one better to support them than their partner along the way, their partners and their families. Hopefully they'll find it very interesting and very educational um, and certainly happy to take any questions from them about it at the end. Rhonda, let's get into this. What are gynaecological cancers? Gynecological cancers are any of the cancers that occur in women's gynecological organs. So that includes the uterus, the ovaries and the fallopian tubes, the vagina, the area on the outside between the legs, which is the vulva. So it's a number of different cancers. And in fact, as a group, they make up about, up about one in 10 of all of the cancers that occur in women. But there's three groups that are probably the most important. The most common is cancer of the womb. 
and that's becoming a much more common cancer now because unfortunately it's linked to being a bit overweight and unfortunately our community is becoming more obese over time. So that's the cancer that really has become more common. There's almost a tsunami of endometrial cancers going on as there are the other, other obesity related cancers like liver cancer and kidney cancer and pancreatic cancer because we are becoming unfortunately um, more overweight and, and we can do things about that. There's a lot of things we can do to prevent cancers that are associated with obesity. The second type of cancers are cancers of the ovary and the fallopian tubes. They're very similar cancer. And they're the ones you hear about a lot that often present late and are diagnosed late. And the reason why they're so important is that they're often incurable and it's really important that we develop research and we are looking into research into developing a screening test that pick up women who are at risk of these cancers so that they can be prevented because that's the thing that's going to make the big difference. And then the third type of cancers which have changed over the last 10 years, the last decade, are the cancers that are associated with HPV, the human papillomavirus infection, which we now have a vaccination for, and we're giving that to young women and men, school-aged women and men. They're the vaginal, the cervical and the vulva cancers. So they're becoming much less common in developed countries like ours. Unfortunately, there's still very common causes of death in women in developing countries. Hopefully over time, those countries like China and Asia and the developing countries, our close neighbours like Papua New Guinea, they'll get access to the vaccination and it will help prevent deaths in women. You've spoken about three things there, prevention, screening and vaccinations. Let's go through all three of them. In terms of prevention, what are the key things that women should know? So the first is to, if you're having symptoms such as abnormal bleeding, prolonged bloating or change in bowel habit, that you present to your GP and talk to them about it. If you notice a lump or bump on the outside that wasn't there before or an abnormal discharge, don't just put it off and think it's thrush or something that's you know more benign. If it hasn't gone away in a couple of weeks, go to your GP and talk to them about it. It's, it can be embarrassing for women, particularly if they have a male GP that they've always seen for their blood pressure or something that's not gynecological related. But, you know, if they are embarrassed, there's usually a female practitioner in most GP practices or a nurse that can have a look. It's really important that they're examined if they have abnormal bleeding. A speculum examination, a basic examination that a GP does should be able to do. Having a look on the outside, if they've got some unusual skin changes or symptoms, it's really important to ask their GP to have a look. And if they've got symptoms that are suggestive of, of ovarian cancer, sort of persistent bloating or discomfort in their pelvis, an ultrasound is a very simple investigation to ask for. Now, you've spoken about screenings, vaccinations, you've touched on the HPV vaccination. What do people need to know, women and men both need to know in terms of vaccinations and screenings? And even would you mind touching on self-screenings that we women can do themselves? Yeah, so look, the best form of screening is following the National Cervical Screening Guidelines to prevent cervical and vulvar and vaginal cancers. And that is attending your GP, if possible, regularly for the Cervical Cancer Screening Test, which is a simple test. It's like the old pap smear. It's done a similar way, but it's a much better test because they're looking for viruses that are associated with precancers and cancers of those areas. For women who, aren't, who, who feel that they can't go to their GP, if they're remote women and they just cannot access the medical system for some reason, whether that be cultural or distance related, there is the possibility of doing a self-screening test where you can have a test sent out to you and you can send that off for the National Screening Program. We do recommend that people discuss it with their GP or a nurse, if possible, before they do their self-screening. 
that screening, but prevention is key. You know, the best treatment is prevention. So in regards to the HPV-related cancers, now we have the HPV vaccine, the Gardasil 9, which prevents nine of the, of the high-risk HPV infections, the wart virus infections. And the most efficient way and best way of giving that is to young people before they become sexually active, before they're exposed to these viruses. I mean, 95% of people in the world get these viruses that are transmitted through contact, often sexual contact, but not always. So it's nothing to be embarrassed about. It's a part of life. To be able to prevent cancers is a fantastic thing. It's not an expensive vaccine and it's covered for young people and they should start it if possible before, be, before they become sexually active in high school. So it's safe and we give it to girls and, and young men around the age of 13. So Rhonda, who needs to get screened? How often? And I understand as well, we're talking about actually a really wide variety of different cancers here. So there's probably different ways of screening and testing for the different kinds of cancers. So our most effective screening program is against cervix cancers. So as well as being vaccinated, it's important to start screening for those cancers. As you remember, the old pap smears, they used to start at a much younger age. But now that we have a lot more evidence about viruses and how they grow very slowly, it's very safe for women to start being screened at age 25. Unless they have symptoms, then it's no longer a screening test. You would go to your GP and have the test. But as a screening for asymptomatic women, they start screening with cervical screening tests at age 25. If they don't have a high-risk virus, they now no longer need another test for five years. So it's a much better way for women to, to be safe from developing a cancer and to not have to go so often for screening. If they do have a virus, we test them yearly until the virus goes away. And in 99% of instances, the virus will go away over time. But that small number of women that it doesn't, we screen them and if they start developing a precancer of the cervix, then we can treat them and prevent cancer. Changing gears just a tiny bit here, there are some words particularly around female anatomy that are quite taboo and I'm sure that when I say these words, there might even be some of the listeners who blush a little bit. The words like vulva, uh, like vagina, you know, the tabooness around female anatomy as well as you know, a bit of a hypersexualization as well of female anatomy. Does that present some challenges in terms of women wanting to talk about their bodies, wanting to explore their bodies, or even just feeling comfortable being able to go and see a doctor and talk about it? And if so, how do we overcome this? Yeah, it's a really important discussion to have. I think in my experience, when I used to talk to my grandmother and I speak to patients who are older, I think 50 years ago, there was much more hesitance to, to talk about these parts of the body. But over time, they have become more acceptable. I mean, women, most women, are, young women are reasonably comfortable speaking about their vagina and their cervix. Um, they understand there's a way to prevent cancers and that's important. And I think it comes from, you know, it often comes from how your mother and your older relatives and extended family have reacted to those discussions. But I think there's much more openness now in young women. So how we, how we improve that, I think it's about educating young women and men in schools so that they're not embarrassed about their bodies. There's fantastic teachers in the school system that talk about physical education and talk about the normal processes of reproduction. And I think it's really important too for the screening program and the vaccination program that that's addressed when young women and men are in primary school. And so that once they get to year seven, they know that they've got 
the ability to access the screening program and the vaccination to prevent cancers in the future. It's hard for me being a gynae-oncologist because I often look at disease processes rather than normal things, although I do have children and I've seen them grow up. And I think they're fairly open because they see what I do. And for them, it's a daily occurrence talking about vaginas and vulvas <laughs> in my family, particularly as my husband works in my practice. But I suppose in other families and other cultures that people may not feel so comfortable, it's really good having a mentor or an older sister or a relative that they can talk to about it if they're worried. I know that you are deeply involved in research in this area. Where are we going with research and how is it helping in this kind of disease management? Look, it's been a really exciting past few years, particularly in the, the area of ovarian cancer. So ovarian cancer for many years, 20 years, we had made no inroads into improving women's survival after diagnosis because it often presents late. In the last three to five years, we have evidence that screening for this cancer is not really effective. What we are looking for is two things, the holy grail of finding a, a test, a blood test, that we can identify women who are at risk so that we can, once they've completed their family, they have their ovaries and tubes removed. We know about the breast and ovarian cancer gene. So about 10 to 15% of women who get ovarian cancer, they have a strong family history and, you know, they can have that cancer prevented if they get their ovaries and tubes removed once they've completed their family or they're in their 40s. But we are looking and there's a lot of research going on at the moment about developing a blood test to detect signs of changes in cells from the ovary that are detected in your blood that you can prevent the cancer. The other exciting area of research with ovarian cancer is the area of PARP inhibitors. It's a very targeted treatment for um, women who have already developed ovarian and tubal cancers that does significantly improve their survival in a number of women, and it's a very targeted treatment. The other thing, might I say, being a surgeon, one of the most important things is to get high-quality surgery. So if you have someone in your family that develops ovarian or tubal cancer, the most important thing to start with is to get that cancer out surgically if possible. And that means having your surgery in a, in a unit where this ability and this expertise is available. I work at Lifehouse and there are other units like that around Sydney. And I work at Prince of Wales Private where we have a multidisciplinary team of doctors and nurses all specialising in looking after women with gynaecological cancer where you will get the best treatment access to clinical trials, which does improve survival, and ongoing best supportive care as time goes on. So that's a really important part of this whole discussion for women who have these cancers to get their surgery and their treatment in a, a centre of expertise. Just on that note about surgery, I work in a unit where we do high-level um, surgery and there is evidence that given heated chemotherapy into women's tummies at the time of that surgery for ovarian cancer will improve their survival. So that's a newer treatment and I'm doing research in that area, which is really exciting. So I look forward to seeing the outcome. We have an NHMRC sponsored trial and in a couple of years we'll have some good data, hopefully again showing improved survival. As a former researcher myself, any inroads in research are always, always exciting. I know my research has never been as hands-on as that, but it's so exciting to hear how these developments are having a real impact and changing women's lives. Now, Rhonda, before we let you go, there are three questions we ask all of our guests on Coogee Voice. What's your favourite beach in the eastern suburbs? Where can you get the best coffee and where sells the best hamburgers? Certainly, I'd have to say the best beach is where I've lived for 30 years and that's Coogee. 
particularly the dog-friendly park because I have a dog, but unfortunately he can't go swimming on the beach, but maybe that will change one day. The best coffee, I like the Courtyard Cafe at Coogee, again, because it's dog-friendly and they do make a good coffee. And in regards to the best hamburger, I'm not a big hamburger fan, but my kids and my husband tell me that out of the blue make the best fish burgers in the eastern suburbs. (laughs) Wonderful to hear. A lot of people love out of the blue. Now, it is Gynecological Awareness Month. So if our listeners would like to learn more or find out where they can support research, where should they head to? Oh, look, um, the, the national trials group that we all work in and support our research is ANZGOG, which is the Australian New Zealand Gynae Oncology Group. If you Google ANZGOG, if you'd like to donate money there, it's a fantastic organisation. They have this wonderful team of um, survivors who teach students, so they're our patients that have survived cancer and done well, and they go out and teach medical students and people in the community about oncological cancers, and they do a lot of high-quality research, internationally recognised research trials. So I think that would be the best place to start with a donation. Wonderful. Rhonda, thank you for joining us on Coogee Voice. All right, Marjorie. Thanks very much. Have a great day. What a timely discussion with Dr. Farrell. Now, if you'd like to learn more about the most up-to-date research and support this research, head to ansgog.org.au. That's A-N-Z-G-O-G.org.au. Thanks for listening to Coogee Voice.